you guys pray with me? God, as we come before your word today, we ask that you would just really pour out your Holy Spirit on us as we consider miracles and the work that you do, that, Lord, we be reminded of the miracle that you have done in us and that you would do every single day as you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for the wonderful cross, the privilege of being called sons and daughters of the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Those of you I don't, I don't know, I'm Mike Gibson. I've uh, got a couple of jobs. One is I get to do some stuff around here with the Great Commission Institute, and then also as pastor of Christ uh, Lutheran Church and School in Costa Mesa. I love being here on Mondays because I love looking at Word of God. And so I want to invite you to pull Bibles out and grab your phones or whatever you're going to look at this on and, and go over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at two really significant miracles that just kind of take place on the same day at the same moment in when Jesus is doing this really, really remarkable thing. Last time, if you were here for um, this Gospel of Mark study on Monday with a miracle, uh, Pastor Jonathan was here and he was talking about the, the healing of the demoniac, the, the guy that was possessed uh, and it was always one of my favorite stories as a kid, you know, because any time that you can throw demons into pigs who run off a cliff and into the ocean, I mean, that's just a crowd-gathering moment, isn't it? And, and what's important about that, and one of the reasons why I want to take a minute to just mention it as we start, is first of all, that's what precedes this day of miracles that we're going to look at. It's a kind of a temptation, I think, to just jump right into the text. But one of the things we always want to remember is what is the context? What is this whole thing that Jesus has been doing? And they're dealing with a guy who is demon-possessed. So this is now a, 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 an issue that he's coming face-to-face with the power of the devil. Jesus does that really quite well, doesn't he? And he did it on the cross when he brought the victory for all of us and our sins uh, and what he did in being raised from the dead. In that story, it it says that it happened uh, on the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, on the eastern shore, an area that was called the Decapolis. There was a number of cities, ten, that were rather significant, most of which had been kind of come into being and had a lot of Greek thinking people and Greek individuals because that whole area had been under the authority and the the control of Alexander the Great back in the day. Even cities like as far north as they would go of what we know as modern-day Damascus with all the conflict that was going on in, in, in Syria today was part of that whole region. And it was there where Jesus did that miracle of rescuing this man from the control and the power of the demonic. Then it says that he went back to the other side of the lake. Now, as he's moving from east to the west, we're not sure whether or not it meant that he went across the lake and right due on the western shore, about halfway 
uh, up in Galilee is Tiberias, but Capernaum is up here in the north, kind of a little bit on the northwest side of the lake. And so it's possible that that was where Jesus landed. It doesn't tell us, even when you look at Luke's gospel in the same story, we don't get that particular information. But earlier in Mark, in chapter 2, it says that Jesus went home to Capernaum. And that was his home base. So, for my purposes, I kind of like the idea of he went back to Capernaum because who is it that comes to him immediately but the man who is the head of the synagogue, one of the synagogue rulers of whatever this community is. Remember one of Jesus' first encounters was to be in the synagogue in Capernaum where he proclaimed that he was the one that was the fulfillment of the scriptures that said that he had come to heal to proclaim freedom and captive to the prisoners. And then he full, rolls up the scroll and says, this is what is being fulfilled in your hearing today. It was there that he had his first conflicts. It was there that Peter's mother-in-law was in that particular community. And so we know that this was kind of like a home base. So maybe in this encounter, maybe this individual that Jesus is talking to, this Jairus, is someone that maybe he has known if it's Capernaum, because he certainly would have known because of his activity that occurs within that synagogue. We don't know, but sometimes the assumptions are worth some consideration. Take a look with me at the text. Verse 21, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Capernaum's right on the water. And there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. That's quite a statement of faith, isn't it? He just knows that if Jesus would just touch her, that she's going to be restored. Now, we know that her illness is very, very significant. She is, at this moment, at the point of death, so very, very near. And when Jesus lands, it is fortuitous for him at that moment to throw himself down and where the parent's heart says, come help my little girl. Come help my little girl. And then just a simple, a simple word that follows, and he went with him. So here's this whole crowd. Jairus throws himself down in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus, and Jesus responds, and Jesus goes with him, headed towards Jairus' home where he's going to heal, we believe, we know, because that's what's been asked, and that's where Jesus is headed, this little girl. We know later that she's 12 years old. Right in the middle of that whole thing, a woman comes up and she begins to desire to have this healing from Jesus too. Verse 24 and a half here. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Can you just see it? Here's Jesus and there's just this crowd of people as he's moving that are around him. They want to be near him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This is so much different than normal, basic menstrual realities. This is a woman who has been bleeding for all these years. 
all these years that she has been bleeding has kept her on the outside of society. Let me show you. I want you to look with me over at Leviticus chapter 15. It's a rather odd chapter of Scripture because it really deals almost completely with bodily discharges. Probably not one that you've memorized, but one nevertheless that gives us some understanding in chapter 15. Verse 25 is where I want to pick it up of the desperate nature of this woman. You see, you can read the story and you can say, oh my gosh, 12 years. But if you don't know the backstory, if you don't know the things that are going on inside of her and in what is going on in culture, we miss out on this. We miss out on this. Make sure to advance myself here. Verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity. All the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge." It's like she has leprosy. She's an outcast in the society. No man will touch her. And yet she is desiring in that moment to touch Jesus. Now, what would have happened within this culture if she had touched Jesus? What that would have made him unclean? At least within the understanding of her environment. Can you see the passion of why she is pursuing him? Twelve years this has been going on. She has spent every bit of money she has. And not only has it not helped, but it says that she has gotten worse. The story goes on in Mark 5. She said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. What a great statement of faith, isn't it? I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. Can you imagine that? Jesus is walking along and everybody's bumping up against him. This whole crowd, this woman throws herself down before him and just tries to reach out and touch him. Just to touch him because she knows she'll be healed. And Jesus feels in the midst of all of that that something's happened. That a healing has taken place. And he knows. Jesus is all-knowing, right? Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? I mean, the disciples are kind of going, come on, Jesus. Can't you tell that everybody's bumping up against you? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear 
and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole story. You ever done something where you hoped that, well, you were willing even to be in trouble because it was so important to you to make the connection? That's what she's here for. She's ready to make a connection, even to, make, even to be in trouble for doing this because of her desperate desire to receive what it is that Jesus alone is obviously able to do for her. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Here is this anonymous woman. We don't get her name. We get this is Jairus' daughter who is on the point of death, but we get an anonymous woman whose name is not known to us, and yet Jesus keeps her from being anonymous and draws attention to her. Because remember what it had said in Leviticus? It was known in this little community, certainly, about this woman's ongoing issues, and that she would be healed was to bring attention to her because now she still needed to go and offer a sacrifice in the action of that celebration of her cleanliness. Put one word up on the next screen. Meanwhile, there's a dad who's been standing there watching this whole thing. Can you imagine the impatience? Can you imagine? I mean, this is one of the things that I do. Come on, come on, hurry up. Let's go faster. Take care of this woman. Come on. My daughter is at the point of death. And while he's standing there with Jesus and standing there and he's watching this woman who has just reached out and touched him and has been healed and he's wanting that same kind of thing for his little girl, it says... Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? That's a kind comment, isn't it? Crushed. Broken. What does Jesus do? Verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. As I was preparing for this, I put a big box around that on my, in my Bible. Do not fear, only believe. I need to be told that a lot. Maybe that's something that you can grab hold of today too. Do not fear, only believe. You have the God, the Creator, the Savior of all who is in your life engaged in you through faith. And He is the God who is constantly with us always. Do not fear, only believe. And it says, and Jesus allowed no one to follow them except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Remember, there's this big crowd. But there's also going to be a big crowd where? In the home. And in the home. And when he entered, the people were in commotion, and people were weeping and wailing and all of this. He says, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And what do the people do? They laugh. In the Decapolis, when that man was healed of the demon, the people begged him to leave because they didn't even want to be around him when he was doing this stuff. When Jesus said, where'd that power come out of me who touched me? The disciples kind of scoff at him with doubt. And here, what do people do when Jesus shows up to heal? They laugh. Sometimes people don't want to be around when God is doing things. Other times people laugh and scoff at things and there's doubt and there's questions. 
And what the opportunity that you and I have is to be what Jesus' words are, and that is to not fear, but only to believe. And Jesus puts all these people outside, and he takes the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. No kidding. No kidding. When God shows up, and he always does, we have this opportunity to believe and to trust in what he is and what he does. Jesus acts. We believe. Now the opportunity is for us to believe in a God who overcomes powers of darkness. That's what he did in the Decapolis that you looked at last week. We also believe in a God who heals the unhealable because no other doctor could heal, right? Twelve years. All the money she had. And he's also the God who gives life in the place of death. There was a guy a long time ago, just about 500 years ago, who said that our Savior Jesus Christ comes for us, and what he does for us is to defeat the power of the devil, sin, and then to bring for us the wonder and the joy of the victory over death. That's the God that we trust in. That's the one who says to us, believe believe that's the savior you have he has defeated all of that his miracles are in evidence but most especially his greatest work of all his death and his resurrection for us remind us that this is true not just for a demoniac not just for a synagogue ruler and his daughter or for an unnamed woman who was so sick no one could fix her He's done the same for us. People that can't have our sin fixed by anybody else. And he does. And he heals. And he restores fully. Let's pray as we close.